Romans chapter 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on singing so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we will no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. This is the word of God. Thank you very much. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we've already prayed about this in the words of that last song, but please will you help us as we come to the scriptures now to uh, hear what they have to say to us, to come as sinners to Jesus. And please help us in our hearts to come close to him. And as we do that, might we know his embrace, know more of him, so that we love him more. In his name, amen. Well, we're going to begin with um, a couple of post-Easter quiz questions, if that's okay. And um, I think you'll feel relatively confident about the answers uh, to to these questions. So a couple of questions. Um, Whose death do we remember on Good Friday? And uh, so here's some answers. And uh, whose resurrection do we remember on Easter Sunday? And for each of those questions, I will accept two answers. The first answer is Jesus. Um, so if that was your answer just now to those questions, um, well done. That was a correct answer. Um, Jesus died on the first Good Friday. Jesus was raised from the dead on the first Easter Sunday. Um, Easter is all about his death and resurrection. The other acceptable answer is me. Has he gone mad? The other acceptable answer is me. Good Friday is a little bit about remembering my death. And Easter Sunday is a little bit about remembering my resurrection. In a very, very important sense, the person who died and rose then was me. And also you, um, if you're trusting in Jesus. 
You can see that if you look at Romans 6. Have a look down there at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 2. We are those who have died. Or verse 5. If we've been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united to him in a resurrection like his. So if you have trusted in Jesus and become a Christian, then you are living a new life. There was an old one that ended, you died, and there is a new one that has started, uh, you've been raised. And that means, as we're going to see, that we can't be the same again. I think this is an important thing for us to think about now because we've just spent last weekend, we spent the Easter weekend thinking about how Jesus has saved us and about how it's totally free. Um, he's, he's just done it for us because he's kind to us. Um, we didn't earn Jesus saving us. We didn't deserve Jesus saving us. He just does it out of his own grace. And that can make you think, well, if you can just trust Jesus and then everything is forgiven, then like, why would anything else matter? Why would it matter how anybody lived? It's all just sort of done freely for us by him. And that is exactly the issue that Paul is addressing in this passage of Romans, the Apostle Paul. He spent a lot of time in this letter talking about how being made right with God and forgiven and receiving eternal life, about how all of that is just a free gift from God. Have a look, for example, at uh, chapter 5, verse 20, an ultimate verse of the previous chapter. Um, halfway through that verse, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That is, the more bad stuff that people do, the more God shows grace. So the question comes in chapter 6, verse 1, well, then, shall we, shall we go on sinning? Shall we just crack on so that grace may increase? If God is into giving grace, if God is into giving free stuff to bad people, and if the worse people are, the more grace God has to give, then doesn't that just sort of incentivize bad behavior? Isn't that what Christianity is doing? Doesn't, doesn't being a Christian actually encourage sin, if that's the case? You can imagine it in the school assembly. Children have all been very naughty. And the head teacher comes in and says, right, you've all been very badly behaved. Free donuts for everyone. Wouldn't work, would it? Um, just encourages them. And Paul has anticipated that thought. Chapter 6, verse 1. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Why doesn't grace, why doesn't everything that we thought about at, at Easter, why doesn't that actually encourage sin? Or to put the question another way, why does being a Christian need to change your life? And to help us see the answer to that question, we're going to see three pairs of things, really, from these verses. Two events that have happened to us, two changes that they make in us, and two responses that they call for. Firstly, here's the two events, and they're the things that we've been talking about so far. We died with Jesus, number one. We've been raised with Jesus. So we died with Jesus. Looking at verse um, 2 and 3 here. We've heard the question that uh, Paul is addressing. Why does God's grace not just encourage sin? Why, why does being a Christian need to change my life? And there is the answer at the start of verse 2. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Answer, by no means. 
We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? When Jesus died on the cross, he was there representing us. Because he was there, in a sense, we were there. And his death counts for you and for me. When you put your trust in Jesus, it's as though you you get joined to him. You get plugged into him. And all the stuff that happens to him counts for you too. So when Jesus died, it's as though we were there with him. Some people can remember the day that they became a Christian. Um, I can't. Um, But whenever somebody becomes a Christian, whenever that happens, Jesus' death comes to count for them. And so, you know, if you can remember the day that you became a Christian, what you're remembering there is, in a sense, the day that you died. I don't know if this sounds weird to you. You're thinking about this a little bit weird. I imagine it might. But it actually makes perfect sense of why Christians get baptized, um, as we've seen this morning. Jesus commands that those who follow him, believe in him, should be baptized. What does that involve? We've seen something of it this morning. Um, God willing, later on this summer, we're going to um, baptize quite a few different people um, in a big sort of pool thing. And what we're going to do is we will plunge them under the water. Symbolically, we will drown them on that Sunday. And we're not going to hold them under for, for quite that long, but we might just for a split second, just to, just to make the point, just a split second, <laughs> we'll uh, symbolically drown them. And the point that we're making there is that they are united. They have been united to Jesus in his death. And so they have died to the life that they used to live. Verse 3 makes this link, doesn't it? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So it's the first event that has happened to every Christian. We've, we've died with Jesus. The second one is that we've been raised with Jesus. Verse 4 and 5. I mean, that's the other thing that happened to Jesus, isn't it? Um, Easter doesn't end on Good Friday. Uh, he died and then he was raised again. Death followed by resurrection. And therefore, if we're joined to him, plugged into him, the same thing has got to happen to us. And so it is. Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He died, so we died. He was raised, so we were raised. Old life ends, new one begins. And this is the other thing about baptism, of course, isn't it? Once we've held the people under for a split second, we're going to bring them back up again. And that's symbolic of old life having ended, new one having started. We're going to, we're going to pull them up again. So again, when Jesus rose from the dead, we get connected into that so that you and I, if we're Christians, are raised to a new life. Here is a way I've been thinking about this a little bit um, this week. Are you familiar with the concept of jump leads. Um, I need to consult my notes carefully here because I'm not particularly, but the the purpose of jump leads is um, if your car battery has died, um, what you do is you get a car with a working battery and you get these leads and you attach, is this right? You attach one end to the working battery and one end 
to the not working battery and then you start the good car and as it comes to life, so does the other one. Can you try and imagine with me inside Jesus' tomb on the first Easter morning and the miracle happens? His heart begins to beat again. And it's as though there are jump leads attached to him that run, run out through the centuries and millennia all across the world and they're hooked up to my heart and they're hooked up to your hearts uh, if you're trusting in him and billions of other hearts. And as Jesus comes to life again, that charge jolts us into life with him. When you trust in Jesus, that's what happens. You're, you're raised with him and a new life begins. Do you know that that is what has happened to you if you're a Christian here this morning? What you are living now is a new life. And that new life isn't fully realized yet. You're not enjoying it as much as one day you will. And maybe you noticed actually when this passage was being read that it's, it's kind of a little bit difficult to say whether new life and being raised with Jesus, it's a bit diff- tricky to say whether that's a now thing, a present thing, or whether it's something that we're still waiting for. And I think the answer is that it's both. Christians, we are waiting until Jesus returns and then the dead literally are going to be raised, literally and physically are going to be raised. And once that's happened, we will be able to enjoy resurrection life with Jesus fully and perfectly. But it is more than just a future hope. It's a present fact. We have new life with Jesus now. The the jump leads have done their thing. We're alive with him. So those are the two events that have happened to us if if we're Christians. You put them together. We've died with Jesus. We've been raised with Jesus, a death and a resurrection. And you realize that becoming a Christian is actually an incredibly radical thing. It's a massive change that happens in someone's life. Someone becomes a Christian. It's not that they've just come to hold a new belief or or to hold a new set of beliefs. It's not that they've turned over a new leaf made a fresh start. I guess all of those things are kind of happening, but they're not the half of it, really. A a death and a resurrection has happened. The Easter weekend has played out again in someone else's life. And that means, we'll think about this um, a little bit more in a few minutes, that the call of Jesus to you today, actually the call of Jesus to you, whether you are a Christian or not today, is more than just come and change. More than just come and try harder. Or even come and get heaven and all manner of other things. His call is nothing less than come and die. And then come and live. Come and lay down your life. And come and receive new life. What does that mean? Why why would that be a thing that I would want? Why is that good? Well, if those are the two events that have happened to us as Christians, here are the two changes that that makes in us. The first one, we are no longer slaves. If you look carefully at verse 6, you'll see that this sentence twice uses the phrase, so that or that. I'll read it. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. 
the, your old self died so that you're not a slave to sin anymore. And the assumption behind what it's saying here is that human beings just can't help ourselves but sin. Uh, we, we just love to ignore God. We love to go our own way. We love to please ourselves. Just irresistibly attractive to us. And if you doubt that, then try going a whole day always living up to your own standards. And uh, if by some miracle you manage that, try living up to God's. The imagery that Paul uses to capture that is that we are enslaved to sin. Not actually free, but slaves. It's an incredibly uncomfortable image, isn't it? What, what could be more wicked and horrible than slavery? The Bible is saying here that every human being experiences a kind of slavery. And then verse 7 takes the idea a bit further. Um, in the ancient world, there's, there's two ways out of slavery. One is to be freed by your owner. And the only other one, tragically, was to die. Well, what about all human beings then enslaved to sin? Well, the first one of those isn't going to happen. Sin is not going to sort of let us go. So the only way out of sin is to die. And that is what has happened to us in being united to Jesus. We've died to sin. And therefore, we have been set free from that particular master. Verse 7, anyone who has died, that is, who's been died in being united to Jesus, has been set free from sin. But what does that mean? I mean, I don't feel very free from sin. Um, I still feel very much my own sin, and I still feel very much the effects of other people's sin all the time. In what sense am I set free from sin? Well, couple of very important senses. I'm set free. Christian, all Christians are set free from sin in the sense that the punishment has been taken away. Jesus has taken it when he died on the cross. He's taken all the condemnation that we deserve for our sin. I'm free from that. But I'm also free from sin in the sense that it is not my master anymore. Sin is not our master anymore. Do you see, if you look at verse 12, that um, it speaks about sin reigning in our bodies? What kind of a person reigns? The thought that we just kind of just sort of took orders from sin, had very little interest in resisting it. Well, if you become a Christian, that's not the case for you now. Um, set free from sin in the sense that we are able to resist it now. We can say no to sin. Graham Bynance, a Christian author who um, I don't know that I've actually read any of his books, but I heard him give a really, really helpful talk once. And he was reflecting on, on this kind of stuff that we're talking about. And he applied it to when you hear about another Christian who has fallen into some terrible sin or another. And he said, in that situation, you should think, on the one hand, that could have been me. I'm not superior to that person. I shouldn't sort of gloat over them. It could have been me. On the other hand, you should think that needn't have been them. They didn't have to do that. They're a Christian. Sin is not their master. They're able to say no. And the same is true of us. With any sin or any temptation that we face, we're not slaves. It's not inevitable. So having died, risen with Jesus, brings about some changes in us. The first of which 
is that we are not slaves anymore. Just worth dwelling on this for a second. I think the way that most people in the world think, and to be honest, probably the way that lots of Christians think, is that to become a Christian is to become less free than you used to be. I go from sort of being a free agent, I make my own decisions, I make some bad ones, sure, but free agent, to becoming a servant of God. But do you notice here that from Romans 6, when someone becomes a Christian, it means they are going from being less free to more free. From bondage to sin to liberty. Christians are freer in this sense than those who are not yet Christians. It's worth thinking about when we're just tempted to give up on Jesus, as I take it happens sometimes in the Christian life. It's a temptation that we feel, thinking, oh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it just be so much easier if I could live how I wanted? Wouldn't it be so much easier just to sort of throw off God? It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be. It would be to trade in one master for another one called sin, a much worse one. In fact, what has happened is that we have been set free. We're not slaves. That's the first change that is brought about in us. And the second one off the back of it is that we are new people. We're not slaves. We are new people. Verse 8 to 10. Remember that we have been joined to Jesus in his resurrection. His resurrection uh, is the sort of power source for our lives now. We've been attached to him. Jump leads, all of that. And his life, his getting a new life, means that we get a new life. And look at verse 9 and see what his new life is like. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. That is, when Jesus was raised, he was raised to something completely new. One commentator says he was raised to an altogether new plane of existence. I quite like that. On Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, his life wasn't just picking up where it had left off on the morning of Good Friday. Um, Instead, he's been raised to this new kind of life that death is not going to be able to end, where the whole thing is, is lived towards God, facing towards God. And that's why Jesus' resurrection isn't the same as when other people get raised from the dead in the Bible. You know your Bible well, you'll know that there's a few, few cases where people die and then they are alive again. Think about Jesus' friend Lazarus. He died in a tomb for, for three days and then Jesus raised him. But when that happened, Jesus was just giving him his life back. He was raised to the same kind of life as he had before, and he did die again. So what was going on there was a resuscitation, which is different to a resurrection. That is about being given a totally new kind of life. That's what happened to Jesus. We're united to Jesus. So that is what happens to us. You're a Christian, you are living today the first little bit of a totally new kind of life. And as we've seen, we don't enjoy it fully yet, that's to come in the future. But we do, we we do right now have a life which is to be lived towards God. We will die, but that won't be the end of our life with him. Got a new life. Somebody said, if you're a Christian, there hasn't just been a change in you, there has been a change 
of you. We died with Jesus, raised with Jesus. So we're not slaves, we are new people. And this, this, you see, this is why being a Christian has to change how we live. This is why we can't just go on sinning so that grace may abound. Because becoming a Christian is bigger than just having a fresh start. It's bigger even than just being forgiven. Being a, it's being given a new life with Jesus, freed from slavery, made into a new kind of thing with a new life towards God. So then, as we finish, here are the two responses that those facts call for. Two responses, think like it, live like it. Think like it, firstly. I'm looking at verse 11 for this. In the same way, count yourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus has died and risen to this new kind of life. In the same way, think of yourself as, as having a new kind of life. That word count is a really important word in this sentence. Um, it's taken from uh, the world of accounting, um, which again is not a world I know an enormous amount about, but it's a word that's sometimes translated reckon, reckon yourselves. You might say categorize yourselves as. In the great spreadsheet of life, you are no longer in the sin column, you are in the alive to God column. It's a word count. It's a word to do with how we think about ourselves. And Paul says, given, given everything we've seen, think of yourself as dead to sin and alive to God. It is a fact about you. You're a Christian. It's a fact. If you like, manifest that reality. I think one of the things that can make living as a Christian hard is that often I think of myself as basically the same person as I always was, but just with a new, some added responsibilities. And much harder responsibilities, by the way. If that's the case, then failure is basically inevitable, isn't it? And again, that is often how I think about my relationship with sin. Failure is inevitable. But if what I am is a new person, if what I am is dead to sin, alive to God, failure is not inevitable. Just because I've failed in a particular way a thousand times before, it's not inevitable that I'll do it again. Because it's not, it's not who we are. Count yourself dead to sin, alive to God. I don't know what you feel stuck in today. I guess there's a pretty good chance that there's something. Some rut, some pattern of behavior, some sin. Remember that you are new. Today's a new day. More than that, you're a new person. Think like it. And then finally, live like it. And uh, verse 12 to 14 gets quite nitty-gritty, really, um, in, in applying this. It moves from the realm of our minds, how we think of ourselves, how we count ourselves, from our minds to our bodies. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself as an instrument of righteousness. So it's a language of bodies and of parts of ourselves. 
talking about what we do in every area of our lives, isn't it? So you're a new person, not a slave, dead to sin, alive to God. Paul then wants us to think, okay, well, how do dead to sin, alive to God people use their hands? Do they use them to sort of exercise power over other people, to, to hit, to dismiss? Or do they use their hands to serve and to love other people? How do people who've got new life use their eyes? I wonder if the things that you've looked at this week are the sort of things that fit better with your old life or with the new one that you've got with Jesus. Well, how do people who've got a new life use their mouths? Have I spoken as though sin was still reigning over me to put people down or to slightly embellish the stories of what happened to me or to be crude or whatever it is? Or have I spoken like my life flows from Jesus' resurrection, using my mouth to encourage people to tell the truth, to pray, to praise the Lord? How do people who are alive to God use their feet? We go on, can we? And maybe actually a good way to put this passage into practice this week would be to pray each day about various parts of your body. Pray, Lord, please will you help me to use this part and this, all of it. Please will you help me to use all of these parts as instruments of righteousness, to bring my hands into line with who I am in you, and so on. As we finish, do you see that um, the logic of this passage is not live righteously because then God will give you a new life? It is that we have already been given a new life. Easter reminds us of that. Our own baptism, Ewan's baptism, reminds us of that. We've already been set free. Uh, We've already died, been raised, set free, um, given new life. And now Paul says, live that out. You've already got it. Now live it out. This is why being a Christian changes how we live. This is why we don't go on sinning so that grace can increase. Romans 6 says to us, you are a new person. You've got a new life. One day you're going to enjoy it fully, but why don't you enjoy it today? Why not live it out? Dead to sin. Alive to God. I'm going to give us a brief moment of quiet to, to count ourselves once again, dead to sin, alive to God, and then I'll pray. Father, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for uniting us to your Son so that with him we share new life. Please help us this week to think like we've got a new life and to live it more and more until one day we live it and enjoy it fully. In Jesus' name, amen.